Welcome to the FI Podcast, the place where we speak about all things accounting. I'm Dave Malthouse. And I'm Ben Bournemouth. From balancing the books to finding a balance in your life, we've got it all covered. So whether you're here for accounting insights, career advice, or looking after yourself while preparing for your exams, you're in the right place. We hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please leave us a rating and review. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the First Intuition Student Podcast. I'm Ben Bullman, and I'm joined this evening by my good friend and colleague, David Malthouse. Good evening, Dave. Hey there, Ben. How are you this week? I'm really good, thank you. So my classes have really started back up in earnest this week. I've been doing some AAT Level 4 drafting and interpreting financial statements, a lovely group of students I've got up in the fine city of Norwich. Excellent. I have been teaching ACCA. I've been teaching advanced performance management. One of my favourites, and I always struggle to um, advise students as to which option they should take. But at that level, I think it's a lovely paper. Really helps you to understand what boards of directors should be doing and how we evaluate their performance. So I find it really, really interesting. Um, and yeah, definitely one of those papers that I love to get my teeth stuck into. Excellent. Yeah, it's one that I usually steer clear of talking too much about. I have to be objective, obviously, but for those of you that don't know, at the final stages of ACCA, you get a choice of optional units. You also get a choice at at the final stages of AAT, don't you? But uh, one of the optional units is advanced audit, and I have to really sometimes bite my lip not to tell people the, the wonderful world and opportunity that audit gives, but I appreciate it's not for everyone. And advanced performance management is actually a unit we are seeing growing in popularity with our student base. It's, it's a really, really great exam. Um, I think that for people doing the ACCA exam, I think a lot of people took the audit exam because they felt they had to. And sometimes you feel you have to because if you want to achieve a practicing certificate in the UK, you have to have the auditing option. You have to complete the auditing option and done the right variance for different exams and things like that. So a lot of people feel they have to do the audit exam in order to gain that practicing certificate. Otherwise, they'd be missing out as part of their qualification. So a lot of people have done that. And yet they haven't stopped to think if they would ever actually need or want a practicing certificate. And I think if you remove that from the equation, a lot of people don't choose the audit paper and actually look at which paper fits them best. And there are, I know some firms out there that have got small business units where their staff don't ever get involved in audit and advanced performance management is a far better, an exam that adds a lot more value to clients than audit when you don't ever carry out audit. I also know some big audit firms who um, their students don't do any tax work And so doing advanced tax is pointless and APMs are much, much better fit. So we are finding that firms are actually recognising that APM is a really, really great exam that that does help students to to build value for their clients. Well, good luck to your students. Good luck to your class. We're talking, I presume, they're aiming for the the March exams. So the March exams, yeah. Getting ever closer, isn't it? We, We are near the end of... January we've got one more episode next week and then we'll be into February and those exams will be here before we know it yeah this evening we have picked a topic 
It's one that I wanted to talk about. It's something that I've read up a bit on. I've also done a couple of workshoppy sessions where I've mentioned it and it seemed to be well received by students. I wanted to talk today about emotional intelligence. But to set the scene, I want to go back a bit, Dave. Traditionally, people have looked at IQ. Are you familiar with the concept of an IQ score? Absolutely. So IQ intelligence quota, I believe. And it's it, IQ tests or IQ scores are a way that we or, or people in general are trying to gauge intelligence of other people. Now, my kind of caveat for that, I think IQ tests are very, very good at assessing how good people are at taking IQ tests. And I know some very, very intelligent people who don't score particularly well in IQ tests. And I know some people that can look at an IQ test and smash their way through it because their brain looks at things in the right way to be successful in an IQ test. I think traditionally people looked at an IQ score and it gives you a score, 100 being the kind of middle ground. Yeah. Historically, people say, oh, if you've got an IQ of over 100, you are cleverer than average. And I use that word cleverer quite resistantly actually i'm thinking i'm not sure and i agree with you and actually lots of modern thinking are now more um not dismissive but not so focused on somebody's raw iq score i think it's now becoming apparent that iq is almost a level of you could be born with a higher ability to pass an iq test and it tends to be quite static I've been looking into it and it seems like lots of research shows it's actually quite hard to tangibly improve your IQ. You might be able to practice questions, but that in itself is not necessarily improving your intelligence. David's going back to your ability to pass an IQ test. With that in mind, actually, it's on the radar of employers that maybe it's not the be-all and end-all to somebody's ability. They are looking much broader now, and the modern world is looking at emotional intelligence. And there is the equivalent, something called an EQ, which stands for emotional quota or emotional quotient. And this is the stuff that in the modern world really gets people noticed, and it really is something you can work on. The good news listening to this this evening is... You can go away and do things, do exercises, practice, and improve your emotional intelligence. I've been looking up some stats. Dave, we all like stats, don't we? I do, yep. Be careful what you Google, everybody listening. Um, I've, I've plucked these from the internet. I can't vouch for all of the sources, but... There is lots of stuff. If you go after listening to this, go to Google and start looking at emotional intelligence and EQ scores. You'll find all of these stats. I've got four that I was just going to share with us tonight and maybe get, get your thoughts on them. The first one. So an EQ score, your emotional intelligence is now seen as four times more reliable than your IQ score in determining your future career success what would be your thoughts on that do you think your emotional intelligence is four times as powerful as your intellectual intelligence 
I've got no way to gauge in terms of what four times four times what measure, um, because I, I, I we have methods of measuring IQ, methods of measuring EQ are more challenging. What I I would kind of add is that what we're seeing with a lot of the automation that we see in the jobs we carry out, tasks that would normally require a high level of kind of computational intelligence are now being automated. The skills that most employers tend to be looking at tend to be how do you deal with other people, whether it's managing other people, communicating with other people, whether it's working as part of a team, all of those things are seen as being far more valuable skills than, um, that, than say, the technical skills that used to be held up as you've got to be technically amazing. Now, there still is space to be technically amazing, but I think you've got to couple those technical skills with those kind of more people-driven skills, understanding how to work alongside other people. And that's great because my next three stats hopefully are going to add a bit of evidence to that being a thing out there in the real world. So stat number two that I found, 71% of recruiters, so people looking to appoint people for jobs, interviewing, selecting. So 71% of recruiters value EQ, emotional intelligence, over IQ when looking for employees. So I guess that one backs up what you were saying, Dave. The modern organization and people looking to recruit into that organization are really well aware that emotional skill actually is a, a future-proof skill. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree completely. I, th I, I say I do think there is a there's a certain almost a de minimis level, and I think we always talk about kind of like hygiene factors. I think there is a hygiene factor in terms of your kind of your level technically, or in terms of measure as we traditionally think by intelligence. That's very much a hygiene thing. You've got to have that, but then how do you differentiate yourself and set yourself apart from the crowds? And how do you get into the room for an interview? I think that's all around your emotional intelligence. Next one you, you'll like. I need to get some of your US knowledge for this one, Dave. This is clearly an American stat. 75% of Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. What's your understanding of Fortune 500? Would that be the 500 biggest stock-listed companies in the, the US? Or I, I would assume so. I mean, I always look at stock market listings in terms of the S&P 500. But um, I'm assuming the Fortune 500 is the similar list of 500 large companies in the US. So 75% of those 500 companies use emotional intelligence EQ tools and training with their staff. So that tells me that organizations are looking to and wanting their employees to upskill. Dave, I'm sure you would agree. I've been teaching now for 11 years. You've been teaching for longer than me. When I first started, I didn't really conceive that I would be spending time teaching people some of the emotional intelligence skills that we now include in our programs. We joined thinking, I will teach tax, I will teach audit, I will teach people how to do a budget. Now we run a lot of sessions and classroom stuff on helping people with communication, helping people with empathy, helping people with resilience. Yeah, I agree. And for me... In my day job, um, you know, in terms of running a business rather than 
and, and teaching, I think every member of staff that directly reports to me has gone through some kind of personality profiling. And every person on my management team has also gone through the same personality profiling as well. So it's something that I don't think I really would have thought about 15 years ago. Um, but now I see it as being really, really important in understanding how different in people different people are likely to work with each other, where their likely strengths and weaknesses are, um, where their skills are, are best directed within the business. So I, I see that as really, really important. And I, I now don't think that I would want to work with someone where I haven't done that kind of profiling beforehand. I'm not saying I would give someone a job on the basis of their profiling, but I think understanding their profile and them understanding mine and them understanding their own profile helps with the working dynamic. So much that that working relationship really works when people understand the other people that they work alongside. And we're going to touch on that with a, a tool that we're going to share with people in a moment. My last stat, and this is a bit of a positive outcome and Again, an American stat, for every one point added to somebody's EQ score, there is an indication that that would add £1,300 to their salary. Now, all of this stuff is online, but I think there is clearly a route to progress in organizations and a career path that makes emotional intelligence much more noticeable and a driver for career success. I'm sure you have worked with lots and lots of intellectually clever people over the years dave not all of those have actually gone on to higher levels and promotions where other people who are more emotionally aware clearly have developed and been seen as more valuable to organizations it's rare within the organizations i've worked in that the most intelligent people have actually progressed to the highest positions it's very very rare that i've seen that um, it's normally something else. So I, I worked in a, a firm that had about 20 partners and I knew who the really super smart people were and they weren't the managing partner. You know, the managing partner had lots of other skills. The managing partner was able to walk in a room and command people's attention. The managing partner was be able to instantly build rapport with people. But if I had a really complex tax calculation to do or really hard consolidated accounts to put together with loads of crazy transactions, that is not the partner I would go to for help. Okay, there are other people I would have gone to for help, but they weren't making it to that, that highest level because they didn't have those people skills that are required to operate at that level. So in a second, we're going to introduce a, a tool, a model, something that myself and Dave have done ourselves. But before we get there, let's just think about the purpose of doing it. I've written down four elements of emotional intelligence, and the first one is self-awareness. I think the starting point for anybody listening to this that's not thought about emotional intelligence and EQ before is to really try and do more to understand themselves. And the tool we're going to share is a really great way to give you a profile and hopefully confirm some things that you probably know about yourself deep down, but you've maybe not had directed to you in, in such a, that's me in a nutshell. So self-awareness is stage one, and that really then follows on to stage two, which is self-regulation. 
I talk to my daughters all the time, Dave, about having an element of a filter. Mm-hmm. Knowing at what point you just need to bite your lip. You just need to not step in. Almost like the ability to pause on sending an email. Mm-hmm. Um, wouldn't it be lovely if we had this ability to just have a 10-second pause where if you'd said something you were going to regret, you could retract it. You can't. Can you, in the real world, we say stuff in real time, but I think about that self-regulation as an ability to, if you know yourself, you are then more likely to regulate yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. That then moves on to number three, which is the ability to empathize with other people. And I think that comes back in a way, Dave, to not only understanding your own personality profile, but also understanding the people that you work around. Yep. That's really going to help you empathize and realize that not everybody reacts in the same way that you do in situations. Not everybody will get a response from a particular tone or style. And yep. if you are a really good people manager you understand that different people in your team probably need a different response. Mm-hmm. And then finally, developing those social skills. And that's really the culmination of all of this, isn't it? Being able to um, hopefully have constructive conversations, be comfortable with yourself around other people, mm-hmm. and really be noticed for good traits and good behaviors. Yep. Yep. And I think that if we ever think of any time where we've had conflict with people or got frustrated with people, I think a lot of that can be down to just differences in in our personality, difference in the styles in which we, we get things done. So I, I, I don't know about you, Ben, you always seem completely unflappable to me, but I've been in meetings before where I've got really frustrated with people in those meetings where I've wanted to make a decision now and someone said, Actually, I don't think I can make a decision. I need to know more. I need to have more information. Can we go away and find stuff out? And every part of my body is screaming, just make a decision now. You've got all the information you need. I know what I want to do. Let's just get it done now. And then it goes back to another meeting in three weeks' time because that person wants more information to read it. And then they make the decision that you think they should have made anyway. And it's like, why couldn't we have done three weeks ago? But a lot of it, it's not because they're slow, it's because that's the way that they want to process decision-making. You know, I, I also think about, you know, when I, uh, I don't know if you went through this process, Ben, when you were buying a house, but I, I, I can walk into a house and I can look at it and say, right, if we knock that wall down, that wall down, and if we move the kitchen around, I think this place would be amazing. My wife, on the other hand, is like, no, I just can't see it. The house is horrible. And I'm kind of like, I just think there's a footprint and the walls are movable and, you know, you can knock stuff down and you can build other stuff. And I can visualize that and I'm ready to go, yeah, let's move it. This could be amazing. My wife's, that is an absolute wreck. You know, we can't live there. There's no way we can do it. And I'm kind of, why can't you see how amazing this could be? Um, And it's just very different ways that we process things. And you know, initially, you can get really, really frustrated with people and it can cause lots and lots of conflicts. But as you say, being aware of yourself and how you process information, being aware of how other people process information and recognising that you are moving at slightly different speeds, but you've all got to work together to get to the right place is really important. And that's what makes really good managers. 
That's what makes really good business leaders is understanding that different people operate in different ways and none of it's good or bad, but we're just different. And yes, some someone needs a lot more information. Some people go on gut feeling and you've got to bring those people together to work effectively as a team. And that is one of the essences of an effective team. If everybody was exactly the same, that's not the most powerful team dynamic. We, we need a range. A couple of warnings up front or, or observations that I've had to put in when I've, I've used what we're going to do in a moment in a, in a group setting. First one is we are not doing this to call people out. Dave, when you were first asked to do some kind of personality profile, what thoughts were going through your head? Why maybe would you be reticent or resistant to do an exercise like this? Part of it is that you almost think you need to have a certain personality type in order to be successful. And you don't at all. There are multiple, and we're going to talk about one very specific way of looking at personality and different different traits. There are hundreds out there. And they they all look at very similar things, but they measure them in slightly different ways. And if you do one of these tests, it will tell you naturally this is who you are. But it doesn't mean you can't learn to operate in different ways. It doesn't mean that you know it. it you know, I, I always talk about the fact that I feel naturally that I'm quite an introverted person. However. I put myself in a position where I go and meet people, speak to people, talk with people, um, because I know that's an effective way of going about business and doing the things that I do. Um, and I can feel uncomfortable sometimes, but I still do it, and I'm still quite good at it. So it, it, it may be against my, my base personality type, but it doesn't stop me from doing other things. So you know, I think sometimes people feel, if I, say, if I come out of being this kind of personality, it pigeonholes me into only doing these kind of things it doesn't you can still do other things and I think it's actually really interesting to understand naturally this is what you would do and yeah you might push yourself out of your comfort zone to do something else but that's sometimes a really good thing and that will sometimes really help you and it will also help you empathize with other people exactly right there is no right or wrong answer to this one there is no preferred profile they are what they are I think if people understand how they are likely to react and bearing in mind in a crisis situation, you tend to revert back to your underlying profile. And I would say, yes, you can learn the other areas, but you also need to be aware you can't ultimately do a lot to change your underlying personality. You just need the self-awareness to understand I always have the temptation to be a bit impulsive, like you were saying, or I'm always on the slower side. I might just want to tell people that up front, particularly if they're people I don't know. Actually, bear in mind, I will be impulsive. And I think people can use it to actually give themselves a bit of a break. Yeah. I think there is a temptation. You go away and you make these things into your problems. Or actually, you've got to think, do you know what? I was always going to react like that. Yeah. That is the way it is. The really powerful stuff is when you can predict how you are going to potentially come across to other people or react in a situation. And if that aids your internal filter, your self-regulation, 
you can hopefully be more self-aware in the moment and just think I'm going to come across as impulsive or too slow and I'm going to manage that situation. Yep. And and how many times have we been at work where someone has said, oh, this person's really difficult. It's always this person's really difficult. What you need to do is, you know, and, you know, if it's something like, oh, you know, you, you're preparing a board pack and they say, oh, one of the board members, they're really difficult. They always want to see a breakdown of all of the expenses. Okay, no one else wants it, but this person does. And we will say, oh, they're really difficult. What the person, someone's really saying there is that this is a person whose personality is really detail-orientated. And as a result, to meet their needs, you need to give them that granular detail of expenditure. And that's someone that's been really helpful. They they haven't read a book or done a personality test or anything like that, but they've recognised that in order to communicate effectively with this single person, you've got to do something for them. And that that's a really powerful insight. And people will tell you, they will give you little ideas about how different people will react. And that's, that's really helpful to you. So listen, whenever people are saying, oh, this person's difficult or this person really needs to be talked through it or this person just wants to see summaries or this person wants a two-minute briefing and that's all they need. Okay, they're giving you indications about what that personality, what that person's personality type is. So let's have a look at the model, the one we were going to talk about, and you can find this. I will put a link in the, the chat box in the show notes so you can go and find out some bits about it and you can actually take an online profile test. But the model we're going to talk about is called the DISC profile, D-I-S-C, which stands for the four personality types that the DISC profile will hopefully indicate you are more likely to revert to. Now, like a lot of theories and models that we teach, it is one of these two-by-two two grids. If you imagine a box, although you'll quite often see it as a circle, divided into four, so cut into quarters. On half the side, we have got people that have got what they call an active or an outgoing personality. Lots of people are more outwardly thinking, they are more comfortable being active and doing things. The other half on the opposite side are people that are more reflective, more reserved, more internally thinking. They tend to be more introverted than extroverted, as, as Dave said. Then on the other side, we have got people that are focused on tasks. They are very much focused on the job in hand, getting the job done, the detail of that job. And on the opposite side to those guys, we've got people that are people-focused. They care more about the people they interact with than the task, the job that needs to be done. And what we've then got the ability to do is break that down into the four quadrants. So active people-focused or active tasks-focused or reflective people-focused, reflective task-focused. And that gives us four personality traits going back to DISC. Now, this is where you will find different iterations of model that use slightly different words beginning with D, I, S, and C. But we have got the D being people that are more dominant. They are active but task-focused. 
We have got the I, people that are influential or inspiring. They are active but more people-focused. We have got the S, which is steady or supportive. They are people-focused but more reserved and reflective. And then finally, we've got the C, the people that are compliant or cautious. They are task-focused but more reflective. Dave, you've done disk profiling. Yep. I've seen your disk profile. <laughs> yes, you have. Um, and I saw lots of yellow. Yep. Color-coded, but, but on the, the graphic, that meant you were filling big chunks of the influential personality trait, the inspiring influencer. Yes, yeah, which is... is where i think i naturally sit so i do tend to prefer to be active rather than reflective um i do feel i'm more people focused than task focused and i think you'll find most people in our job are people focused you know we're about people and working with people and teaching people and giving people information and imparting our knowledge to people and helping those people to be successful now i think there has to be an element of task focus in what we do because there is a big task of sitting the exam at the end that's really important but i don't think you'd be particularly good at this job if you don't have an element of that people focus to you um I know that when I have done this personality test, I've done it several times. So the report you saw is the most recent one. I had one personality report that I completed that said I was red dominant, which is being active and task focused. And when I reflect on when I did that test, then it was when I was very stressed. I had lots of deadlines to be met. Someone had said, you've got to do this questionnaire. That was one of the many things on my to-do list. So I, I attacked it. And just went, right, I've got to get this done quick, 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 quick. And because of my frame of mind, I came across a lot more dominant than influential. But in most tests that I've done, I've been on that active side. Most of the time, I'll be active with people focused as my combination. And as you said, that they do sometimes get color coded. So if anyone has said to you, oh, I'm a blue person and someone else said, I'm a green could well be that they've done a disk profile, but they're using the color codes rather than the, the the letters rather than the name. So I'm quite yellow. I'm also a little bit green. I think if you look at my profile, I'm a little bit green, which is still people focused, but slightly reflective. And no one is going to be wholly one color. You're going to be a mixture of all of them. You'll be slightly more skewed towards some things than another. So naturally, I think I'm more kind of an active people focused. Um, but I am a little bit reflective, people-focused. Um, I don't have very much on the task-focused side of things, I'm afraid. Then you've done it as well. So where where do you sit on the uh, on the quadrants? So um, I came definitely on the people side. Yep. I had a bit of the, the yellow influencer, but the majority of mine was steering towards the S of disc, the steady or supportive. Right. Which I think on reflection, I would agree with. Yep. I think for, from that perspective, it talks about being stable, being supportive. Mm -hmm. Think about my role at First Intuition. I do help a lot of students. I like to think I'm a supportive person. I'm quite stable. You said earlier, you're quite unflappable. I think I am quite constant in my emotions. I don't really have the, the highs and lows. I'm sincere. 
I also think, and this is where on everyone, you can then start reflecting, is there anything there that is is a negative? Um, I'm not sure it is a negative, but, but being overly sensitive, I think yep. I do care what a lot of people think about me. I am quite self-critical. Mm-hmm. Something else that it throws up is being overly modest. And that's something that people have told me about myself for many, many years. I am quite modest and um, shy away from from any um, claiming of, of glory. So, so I, I was quite happy, I think, with myself that, yeah, it, it summed me up pretty well. So I guess when dealing with, say, different individuals... And when we're working as part of a team or when we're working with new people, I think looking at this model and identifying where people sit on that model can really help us to understand how to deal with people. So when we don't talk about too much is is over on the task-focused side. So if you've got someone that's task-focused and they're active, so they're loud and, you know, loud and brash and want to get stuff done, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking there you've got people like Steve Jobs, You've got people like Alan Sugar that are there. You know, I'm naming successful people there. But with both of them, you know, I think people say, oh, don't suffer fools gladly. Um, Don't want people wasting their time. Want information quickly. Want to make quick decisions. They're quite demanding in what they want. But, you know, they can be incredibly successful. And if you identify someone is dominant, okay, then you know how to deal with them. You You know, they don't want small talk and chit chat. You know they want information. You know they're going to be making decisions quickly. You know they're going to expect you to be moving and focused on getting the job done. They're not going to be as concerned about hurting your feelings um, or, you know, are they being a nice boss today? Because their focus is on getting stuff done. And we've probably worked with people like that. But if we recognise that's their personality type, then we can adjust the way that we operate to meet their needs. And that's quite important you know, when you've got, you know, managing partners or people that are running your department that have got that personality type. Okay, if we understand how to work with them and what they need, it will make us more successful. You know, if we go across to the influential side, um, which is, you know, where you and I sit a little bit, yes, we are loud, okay, and noisy, and we focus on people. And, um, you know, what kind of people would be that? You know, typically people always say, oh, Richard Branson sits there. Because, you know, Richard Branson, you know, tends to be very much about keep it looking at, you know, people. Um, you know, he he is, you know, always telling stories. He's not as focused on task, task, task. Although I think underneath it he probably is. But the person the persona he gives over, I think sits in that I category. Um and I think to get on with people there, you know, it's you know about stories, it's about talking with them, it's you know, about building and nurturing a good relationship. If you've got one of them working on your team, though, you might need to work with them to make sure that they do stay on task. Now, they're the people that are probably going to be more focused on, is everyone in the team happy, rather than are we meeting next week's deadlines? So depending on where we sit there, we will need to understand how to work with people, how to influence people. That's it. For, for your eye profile, you can also look at the limitations. And the main one I'm picking up there is lack of follow through. Yep. You'd probably agree with that one, Dave. You do absolutely need to make sure we actually go and you've got lots of great ideas and lots of energy, but you need yeah. people to bring you back and say, Dave, have you finished that yet? Has that one been done? Yeah. Are you on track with it? I, I need people who are task focused to work with me. I cannot function without them because I can do it, but it, it feels so uncomfortable to do. So I need people that are task focused. Um, you know, I don't need 
you know, I, I need people that are what well, loud and out there and task focused, but I also need reflective people, you know, and I really value members of my team who are able to, you know, churn out the compliance paperwork and love doing it. You know, those members of the team that are doing something I could never do. I would never be happy doing that role day in, day out. So, you know, we all need people from those different personality types in order to help us as we work as part of a team. I agree. And I think, actually, you said in our job as tutors, mm -hmm. the, the people focus and maybe even more the active side is probably the dominant one. Yeah. In the world of accountancy and finance, I would say, actually, I've worked with more people who are accountants that are probably on the, the reflective side. Yeah. Are naturally more cautious and careful, yeah. and that's a really important skill set, isn't it? Particularly when we're talking about budgets and money, yeah. you need people that are more reflective, that are not going to jump in and make rash decisions without thinking through the implications. They are more conscientious. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, th I think having those people around you is really, really important. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if I've got, if I'm running a tax department. And I've got a thousand personal tax returns that need to be submitted by the end of January. Do you want someone who is reflective and task focused, who understands this has got to be done, who is quiet and they'll go about their job and they've got accuracy and they understand about getting the work done? Or do you want me who's going to tell a story and probably get nothing done today because we're all having a good time? You do not want me in that environment. I would be rubbish at it. Okay, you need to get me out of the office doing something that is not involved in doing tax returns. Otherwise, the whole firm collapses. So absolutely right. The, you know, the people that are good at actually being accountants, and I'm good at chatting about stuff, but I'm not so good at actually being a technical accountant. You know, I've got the skills that I don't have, and you need to have them in order to be effective. Overwhelmingly, when I did this tool with some students in a group a few months ago, when they got their feedback through, and if you do it, I've put a link in the, the chat box, I'll put a link in the show notes. When you do it, you, you get the, the feedback through, and the vast majority of them were reading it, nodding, and actually saying, this is me, this is me. And it, it's done in a series of random questions that you answer, so you can't really fake it you just go with your gut feel on the questions and it it does give you a good readout and as i say the vast majority of the students were saying no one's ever told me this before but that is me that's exactly how i would be that's exactly how i think now it's not for everybody and this is where we have to be careful there are lots of models and theories out there and it is not fallible mm -hmm. but i would say Go and have a go at doing it. See what it throws up. See what it um, tells you about yourself. To add that self-awareness, if you can understand yourself, you are much more likely then to get on with other people to realize how you are going to behave or how you are potentially going to come across to other people. Dave, you talked about being impulsive. I'm sure that would irritate your wife from time to time. But going back to looking at looking at properties... There might be an element of that actually gets people's backs up because Dave's already jumping ahead. He's on the phone to a builder knocking walls down before we've even thought about whether we're going to make an offer on the property. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, and uh, so with that active kind of side of things, it's like, yes, I'll go and do that. Very, very instinctive. However, 
because I'm on that people focus side of things, it does mean sometimes I can procrastinate when it involves potentially hurting people's feelings. And that's sometimes where you need to have something that's a bit task focused. It's like, yeah, we've got to do this. Yeah. And I, I know there's a, a colleague of mine who, um, who, or I worked with in the past who said that the best time to have a difficult conversation is right now. And it's kind of, don't put it off, have the conversation right now. And, you know, I've heard people also say, you know, saying the whole thing about, um, is there a difficult conversation that you need to have in your life right now? And most people are thinking, yeah, there is a difficult conversation I need to have right now, either it's with a loved one or whether it's someone at work. And then they say, go and have that conversation today because it's just making it worse by not having it. And I need someone that is that task focused, that doesn't let me put off those things I don't want to do because I like keeping people happy. I don't like upsetting people. So it, 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 I think there's, you know, obviously give and take with, with all of those things. So I can be very impulsive when it's things that don't involve people. I'm less so when it does involve people. That sounds like quite a good place to, to draw a line under tonight because somebody listening to this podcast has probably thought, I need to go and have a conversation with somebody. So I'll take that <laughs> advice and, and go and have that potentially awkward conversation because it, it, it needs to be had. I, I have got one more thing to add, Ben. There is a book that um, that my wife has read. It's called Surrounded by Idiots. Um, it is based on the dispersonality types. She informs me that it is really, really good. Um, and she has done a disc profile herself. Um, so I would urge anyone that wants to find out more to get hold of that book. Um, I'm going to give a big plug here because um, my wife keeps telling me, don't buy books, go to the library because you can get books from the library completely free of charge. There, There is going to be a library near where you are if you're in the UK. And we should support libraries because they are amazing places and um, we should try and use them wherever possible. So I'm going to make a big plug for um, so, um, Surrounded by Idiots. Really good book to take a look at this kind of thing. Go to your local library. If they don't have it on the shelves, ask them to get it in for you and they will get it in within a couple of weeks and then you can look at it, take it back to the library and someone else can use it after you. So, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of libraries. Um, throughout my youth, I use them all the time. And I think they're underused and they are going to disappear if we don't make use of them. So go to your local library, get surrounded by idiots and um, find out a lot more about disc profiling. I found it online, surrounded by idiots, Thomas Erickson. I'm going to head into my local library. We've got a, a director's meeting tomorrow, but I might be able to swing there. At lunch break I'll, I'll run down to cambridge library see if i can get a copy thank you everyone for listening to the fi podcast with your hosts ben and dave as always you can head over to the show notes where you can find the links and resources spoken about in today's episode please remember to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode and leave a rating and a review